For me, forgiveness and compassion are always linked. How do we hold people accountable for wrongdoing, and yet at the same time remain in touch with their humanity enough to believe in their capacity to be transformed and embrace the void? Pathetic earthlings, hurling your bodies out into the void without the slightest inkling of who or what is out here. Is life just some kind of horrific joke without a punchline? That we're all just biding our time until the sweet, sweet release of death? No! Don't save Riley! <laughs> Take her to the moon for me. Okay? Welcome, friends, to episode 256 of Embrace the Void, where we've got an unprecedented situation. I am your host, Aaron, and this week's episode is the first time I've had a guest demand that I cut a contentious part of the conversation or not release the show. I don't believe the cut is necessary. I think the exchange is authentic and meaningful, and that cutting it would directly contradict principles I stated in the episode concerning civility porn. I wish things had gone differently but I wanted to at least acknowledge the unfortunate disagreement. I hope you, as listeners, find the conversation valuable. Life ends in death, which we, as a species, are cursed with knowing, resulting in... something. My returning guest this week is Stephanie Lepp, a conceptual artist and the incoming executive director at the Institute for Cultural Evolution. We talked actually almost four years ago when she was hosting the Reckonings podcast, where she interviewed people about (laughs) their experiences coming to terms with harmful things that they had done, uh, from promoting drug wars to denying climate change. Now, Stephanie is back to discuss her recent series of videos called Deep Reckonings, where she uses deepfake technology to imagine what it would look like if famous individuals apologized for harms they may have caused. Stephanie, would you like to once again say hi to the void? Hi, void. So good to be back. Episode 255. Wow. Bravo. Well done. I know. And when you were on, it was like 53 or something. Wow, so I'm amazed. So I'll be back at like 572. Really, congratulations. Yeah, we'll see you there. Yeah, yeah. We'll get to, we'll get, we'll see which um, governments still have leaders. Yeah. It's true. It's fecund. <laughs> it goes on forever. Yeah. How's your four years been? Have you been having a fun time? Oh, I, I made two people. Well, I made, I guess I, I had one, I had made already one little human being and now I've made a second human being. So mm. yeah, and I've moved, changed jobs. Yeah, a lot can happen in four years in our country, yeah. in our lives. How, yeah. is, how has been managing making the making of the humans making during of the, the humans. pandemic and whatnot? Oi. Oh, gosh, that question could last us the entire time. I mean, it's funny, it kind of it's kind of both. It's kind of like a both extremes. On the one hand, it's kind of like, am I crazy? Are we crazy for bringing little people Mm -hmm. into the world? But then at the same time, the little people are also what like, it's like put into perspective, what is actually important and worth focusing on. So and and Mm. yeah, and Mm -hmm. I mean, raising humans well, I mean, that's kind of 
that's kind of what we're here to learn how to do writ large, right? Learning to steward the future of humanity. Sure. So motherhood is kind of my dojo. So yeah, on the one hand, am I crazy? On the other hand, really good dojo for learning what I need to learn how to do writ large. Yeah, that's fair. One of the many paths, I suppose, to promoting human flourishing, right? Yes, 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 yes. There are many, there are many dojos. This is one. Yeah, that's great. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that it hasn't been, you know, I feel like as someone who has, has only had to raise a puppy during the pandemic that like <laughs> watching my friends with human children, it just, I feel so hard for them. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I have lost hair and a lot of sleep and uh-huh. <laughs> all of that. But, but And they also make you laugh. Like, that's the thing. It's like, it's really just kind of the extremes. It's just like... Mm-hmm. make you crazy and also make you forget about all the crazy. Yes. So. Yes. Uh, yeah. Tim Minchin has a particularly great lullaby about how wonderful children are when they're asleep and the desire to kind of quietly kill them because they're horrible. <laughs> it's, it's a great song. I'm not totally doing it justice there, but I think you understand uh, the vibe at least. They do look really beautiful when they're asleep. I love admiring my kids when they're asleep. And yeah. it's like, is do they look beautiful because they look beautiful and or because they're asleep? Yeah, it's definitely and both. And or both. It's definitely, definitely, yeah. definitely, definitely. But it's But it definitely has infused my, I think like my understanding of my concept of beauty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, there's some kids, depth to it. Not yeah. whining equals beauty. <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, it's yeah. like uh, your beauty, you know, spectrum gets very low down into the Maslow hierarchy there, right? It's like beauty yeah, yeah, is yeah. just being able to close your Survival. eyes for a minute. <laughs> yeah. 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 So we're going to talk about deep reckonings and full disclosure for folks. We actually recorded an episode on this a little while ago and we weren't totally satisfied with how it came out. We wanted to have a better conversation, I think. And so we discussed some ways to do that that I think will hopefully be helpful. Um, and one is going to be we're going to sort of get to deep reckonings in a second. But first, we talk a little philosophy, perhaps, which the idea here was we talk a little bit about this concept of truth, which has gotten very popular these days. We've got a lot of discussion about post-truth and epistemic crisis. And you mentioned as as something that you've been thinking about in relation to deep reckonings, this idea of evolving our relationship with truth. So I was wondering if you could say a little bit about how you, uh, as an as an artist, as an individual, understand this concept of truth and how you feel like we need to like evolve our relationship with it. Great. Yeah. So truth. So I don't totally have this pre-planned. So I think I'm just going to riff for a couple minutes and and we'll see what happens. And you you have a more kind of educated philosophical mind. So I, I would actually kind of love your help with this, but I'm just going to lay it out and we'll see what happens. So yeah, so what, I, what I'm seeing is exactly what you said, these, these observations that truth is in crisis or that we're in this epistemic crisis. And, and some people say, you know, it's like we must cling to truth or we'll lose the fruits of the enlightenment. And then meanwhile, others are saying, you know, truth doesn't exist. There is no such thing. And, and now, and it's time to kind of wake up to that. And, Mm -hmm. and what I would say is that in order to, sure, if we, if we just assume there is such a thing as some kind of, whether we call it a post-truth crisis or some kind of like crisis in our relationship with truth, what I would say is that Mm, what would behoove us is to integrate our approaches to truth, our different ways of relating to truth into kind of a new synthesis. And this new synthesis 
that that includes both being able to cling tightly as well as hold loosely is is what will pave the way mm-hmm. uh, i'll just be very ambitious about this is what will pave the way to our next enlightenment and to put a little more meat on the bones there i guess the the different approaches that i would integrate i i feel like the approaches to truth or the way that we relate to truth fall into three camps one is not what i would call naive realism another one would be relativism and another one is nihilism so naive realism is the is kind of the black and white truth it's either true or it's not vaccines are safe qanon is false you know it's black and white relativism there's no such thing as truth you know it's all gray like we can't know about vaccines like um uh, and then it's all relative and then and then nihilism Mm-hmm. would claim that all we have is persuasion. Like even if there were such a thing as truth, it wouldn't matter. What matters is power. And and on their own, each each approach on their own to me is 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 partial. Let's say they're partial, they're they're true they're true but partial. Mm-hmm. And 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 the way to integrate them would be something like like the synthesis would be something like there is truth, it can be gray, and sometimes we don't need it. Like tr- there is truth, it can be gray. Like vaccines, it is true that vaccines have risks, but perhaps their public health benefits outweigh their risks. It is, you know, QAnon. It is true that a small group of people have way too much power over the world, but it's not a cabal of Satan worshiping, you know, lizard pedophiles. You know, it's, and 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 sometimes we don't need. You know, sometimes what we need is I don't know what else to call it. I've I've just been calling it a purposeful fiction. Um, so, for example, what would be a purposeful fiction? What would be a context in which we don't need truth? I, 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 virtual reality therapy is something that comes to mind. We put ourselves in a completely simulated, completely fake environment because that's what's going to help us overcome our PTSD. Mm-hmm. You know, or um, Ukrainian propaganda. You know, like if 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 Zelensky isn't totally being honest about what's going on with the war in order to boost the morale of his soldiers, like sometimes what he needs is a purposeful fiction. In order to boost that, and suddenly, and in Ukrainian propaganda, I think has really beautifully complicated our relationship with truth, because of that. Because it's like all of a sudden we're kind of okay with it not mm. being totally true if it's in service of exactly if it's in service of something else, of something else that we really, really value. In this case, peace, or in this case, transcending conflict. Uh-huh. I don't know if you're familiar with birds aren't real. Birds aren't real is this amazing. Um, what do they call themselves? They're like a parody conspiracy movement mm-hmm. that birds aren't real. The yeah, idea is yeah, that birds I'm, are I'm, actually I'm drones familiar. that are okay. Yeah. So birds aren't real, and that's another one where I can just imagine the mom being like, "But honey, it's not true," and the kid being like, "Truth is not the point, mom. That's not the point. Yeah, we're doing this to have fun." And yeah, so I, I'm sympathetic to a lot of uh, what you're saying. Yeah, I'm also there's, uh, it's like a mix of sympathy and concern. Um, but I think that's you know well, yeah. Well, let, here, like maybe this. I'll just finish with the um, with the matrix. Is it helpful if I sure. introduce the matrix? Sure, it's always helpful. Yeah, to I mean, I guess the yeah the, the matrix. Yeah, it's all, yeah, it's worth 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 mentioning. I mean, yeah. So what I where I'm kind of where I'm envisioning going, and I get I don't have this all fully you know fleshed out or understood, but it's something like a new synthesis that integrates these different ways of relating to truth. There is truth. It can be gray. Sometimes we don't need it. Hold it tightly. We can hold it loosely. We can hold it not at all. Like, and perhaps we don't need to make a big decision about capital T truth. We can just decide how we want to relate to truth in a given situation. And so the two by two matrix, if you imagine 
Well, it's a matrix that let's say it's two by two. So true, not true. And then let's say useful, not useful. So you can be true and useful. You can be true and not useful. You can be untrue and not useful, which is what we usually think of as just untrue lies. They're just lies. They're bad. They're, and then there's untrue and useful, which is what I am calling a purposeful fiction. And, and whether or not it's, I, I mean, I don't know how attached I am to this matrix. The, the point is just, it invites us to explore whether or wonder whether there is such a thing as a really useful untruth, like a purposeful, deliberate, explicit untruth mm-hmm. where we're using a fiction on per, in order to achieve a goal. And therefore truth is not the one and only value. Truth exists in tension with other values, sometimes like utility. So right. maybe I'll just leave it there. Yeah. <laughs> I was, I was sort of a lot there. Um, you know, I, I think there is value in this idea that we can have different kinds of understanding of truth. So there can be, you know, more concrete situations where we feel like the truth is just a straightforward description of some kind of objective reality versus situations where we feel like the truth reflects more of a personal preference or bias or something like that. Um, and we might feel like there are situations in which uh, other values could perhaps matter more than the truth, right? The classic example of lying to the Nazis about the people in your attic. Um, there is, I think, a lot of... So So also, I would also say, I, I think a lot of this... There, there is work on this in sort of current philosophical epistemology, right? Having to do with things like pragmatism and trying to balance these things. Um, and I, I do think it'd be valuable if folks were sort of looking at uh, these traditions um, in a little, you know, like in a little more depth, for example, and thinking about pragmatism um, and maybe not having sort of potentially knee-jerk reactions to the way that pragmatists talk about truth, which I think is a lot closer to what you're describing um, there. There's also, Mm -hmm. I think, a concern, though, about things like how much does this open the door to noble lies, Um, you know? Totally. Like, mm-hmm. do we lie to people about all sorts of things for the sake of what we think will be good outcomes, essentially? And to what degree is that paternalistic? To what degree does that harm discourse and things like that? Uh, you know, which is not to say there is never a situation in which one should lie, I think. It's that um, we have to be very careful about drawing lines on what we consider to be acceptable noble lies. Um, and it may not just be. You know, we can't, um, you know, it might not just be, you know, you, you have to be doing it for the right kinds of reasons. It might also be that, like, we think it's wrong to lie about certain things, no matter what the consequences would be or something mm-hmm, like that. Totally. Do you see that totally, as sort of integrating totally. into this approach some? Yes, absolutely. And pragmatism is exactly where I'm coming from. Mm-hmm. That's kind of, and I, and I started looking into, yeah, Richard Rorty in particular and his notions of truth. And my biggest lament about my time at Stanford is that I was there at the same time as him, but he was not in the philosophy department. Oh, right. Because he was put yeah. into the, the <laughs> right. yeah, the comparative literature department. So I didn't actually get to study with him. Had I, I probably would have stayed in philosophy. I left 
and went into science, technology, and, and society. But anyway, which is more philosophy of technology. But anyway, exactly, pragmatism. What do we need truth in order to do? And really, it's, it's, it's really more, the question is more, what do we need truth in order to do right now? Like right now, what is the struggle that we're having with truth? And what could be helpful? And what I'm suggesting, yes, is a pragmatic orientation to truth just for now, mm -hmm. just to kind of get us through this moment that we're in. And then who knows? I'm not saying pragmatic relationship with truth forever. What I'm what I'm saying is perhaps pragmatic relationship with truth for now. I think it would be really helpful right now. Let me ask you about um, this. Should moment. I respond to the noble lie issue, well, or do well, you want this to actually, say well, something? This actually about ties that? in, I think, to it because it's like you're, you know, this is sort of we come at this from a philosophical angle. I think there's a political conversation to be had, like you're saying, about the moment that we're living in right now, where it seems to me that like this crisis is being driven by several factors. On the left, you have critiques of access to knowledge, like you described initially, right? This idea that like, we can't know the truth or something. And on you know the right, you have, I would say, a kind of uh, uh, an increased religiosity, where um, being in opposition to you know, secular science or something like that has become almost an article of faith. And so there's a kind of resistance to knowledge on that side. And then I would say in the centrist position, you have this, you've gotten kind of loop of um, not like bullsiderism, just that, but like trying to find balance and ending up with false equivalencies sometimes where it seems like it's hard to just say oh. this is the fact of the matter because merely saying that's the fact of the matter would would theoretically put you in a too politically extreme kind of position. And so people end up watering down their positions. Totally. Um, and like it seems to me, then you have the technology, which floods the world with misinformation, but also communities that will mm -hmm. positively reinforce you if you believe a certain piece of misinformation, right? And mm -hmm. it seems like we have to solve all of these problems together as well as upstream problems like wealth inequality, but there's this catch-22 totally. where we have to fix the envi epistemic environment to fix those problems. So how do you, how do you do, how, like, I'm Slash curious what you think of that diagnosis. Positive feedback loop, vicious cycle or virtuous cycles. We have right. to transform the vicious cycle into a virtuous cycle. But what I would say about that is that, um, wait, what did you say right before? I guess I'm curious if you, I, what you think about uh, that diagnosis in terms of these are the ways and a bunch yeah, of ways no, in which sorry, what I would say about that is, yes, because you were saying we have to solve all these problems. And I think, I think what I'm saying, <laughs> I think, is, uh, is that the way I would pose the question is under what circumstance is which way of relating to truth most useful or most helpful? And it could be the case that when it comes to dealing with truth and misinformation online, we relate to truth in a certain way. Whereas when it comes to expanding our understanding of gender, we relate to truth in a different way. Mm. It, it could be. And that that we don't have to make a be all end all forever decision about capital T truth in order to be able to be pragmatic and adapt in, a, in, in given situations. Or at least we can put that question a little bit on hold. I think that question is really kind of tripping us up right now. Mm -hmm. And that's why we're divided into these camps. And honestly, I think with this way of thinking, I think the, the who it would be most helpful to is people who are in the business of truth. Let's just say, e.g., most, most specifically or most particularly journalists. I think journalists are struggling because they think naive realism is the only option. If not naive realism, what are the alternatives? How can I do journalism if it's all relative or if every, if the only thing that really matters is power? Well, so you have so like I standpoint think, journalism. You have 
you know, different um, critical approaches to journalism, it seems like. I, I agree that journalism is in a kind of crisis. I'm not sure that I'm not sure that more. That's a, that's like, a like, good like, point. Totally. Standpoint journalism, exactly, for which stories. And there are some stories for which it's not going to be standpoint. It's going to be, this is this is what's up. And we're okay with that. Like, we're okay with relating to truth in this way, in this context. Or like, we've chosen, we can even be really forthcoming about that. We've chosen to relate to truth in this way, in this context, because it's a war. <laughs> or, or stakes are really high. Stakes are high and uncertainty is low. I don't know. I don't know what the, I mean, now I'm going in more of a post-normal science direction, but yeah, I, I, I may not be able to prescribe like which way of relating to truth in which circumstances, but at least that question mm -hmm. I think would be a helpful frame j just for now, you know, like let's say yeah. just to navigate through this epistemic crisis. I think one, one concern I have with the not sort of sussing it out a little bit more ahead of time would be you know, uh. potentially justified accusations of inconsistency where it's, you know, you adopt a hardline view when it helps your position and you adopt a pragmatic view yes. when it helps your position. Well, let's and, suss it out. Let's yeah. suss it out. That's a great, that's a great challenge. Um, I'm not I saying mean, we have to solve that, it all you know, here. I'm, I'm just gonna... saying I think that's something that like there's <laughs> no, a good no, no, reason you're right, to think though. that you're we right, have to have though. some answers to these questions ahead of time you're, for you're, people you're, to take us seriously. Right. It's like if I... If I'm saying under what circumstances, well, how do I define different circumstances? Like what's what are the important considerations that would delineate different circumstances, you know? Mm -hmm. So like why is, well, birds aren't, it's, I mean, I think part of it depends on the goal. Like the goal of birds aren't real is to have fun. Right. The goal of, uh, you know, when the goal is something, if when the goal is something other than truth, let's say, when the primary goal, you know, virtual reality therapy, <laughs> goal is healing. Ukrainian, pro you know, goal is transcend. Like, I guess part of part of what defines the circumstances is the goal, but then of course, who de who decides the goal? But that's also kind of a when you ask that question, like who decides and you know, novelize. Like, I mean, that's kind of that just gets into the same kind of governance issues that we have like everywhere. Yeah, where there is and, and it's humanity. Right. And I'm not expecting yeah. us to, to like solve all of the who decides questions ahead of time. No, no, we're going to um, solve it all today. Right. Aaron. No, what I, what I think, though, <laughs> is I think it's worth acknowledging that there are concerns yeah. that will come up with these kinds of approaches. Um, totally. And like part of this would lead into, you know, like a conversation. Another, another topic that we um, had on our list of things to try to discuss was content moderation. And, yeah. you know, so, for example, do you... Uh, you know, ban um, are birds real if you have conclusive evidence that like people who buy it, you know, like people who consume that content are much more likely to believe in actual dangerous conspiracy theories or something, right? If it's doing the opposite of what it's supposed to be doing, for example, you know, is that like, I'm not saying we have to solve the problem. I'm saying I think these are like meaningful conversations kind of worth having. Um, but that, that being said, um, I, I don't want to sort of dive into the content moderation stuff because I think then we'll just, well, that'll be the whole rest of our uh, main episode here. <laughs> and I really do want to talk about the deep reckonings. So maybe we'll talk in the VIP room about content moderation a little bit more. And instead, uh, maybe we can, unless you, there's anything you want to add on the, like, the truth side of things. No, I agree with you. Mm -hmm. I, I guess I just, I guess I would say thank you for the invitation to suss it out because... I think that's an excellent point. And if what I'm saying is like the current knee jerk 
reaction where it's like just clinging to truth at all costs or just, you know, throwing out the baby with the bathwater. If I'm critiquing that and saying there's an, another way and saying mm -hmm. that way is something like under what circumstances do we relate to truth in which way, then yes, it behooves me to kind of like propose, um, propose an initial uh, framework for that. So yes, thank you. I agree with you. So yeah, Deep Reckonings. I wanted to talk about this, but first I wanted to play it. I wanted to play one of them so that folks could experience it before we started mucking about in the art with our analysis. So this was your Deep Reckonings into the Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh, who was caught up in a controversy during their, uh, during their, uh, his, um, uh, confirmation hearings. There it is. So we'll just play this real quick and then I will ask you some questions. Thank you, Mr. President. Thank you, Justice Kennedy. It is the highest honor to serve on the Supreme Court of the United States. And as a serving member for almost two years now, it's time to set the record straight. Did I ever knowingly sexually assault anyone? Absolutely not. Not in high school? Not ever. Did I ever do anything that I didn't think was sexual assault but might be sexual assault in the way we rightly understand it today? Well, that's a different question. The truth is, as I've reflected since the hearings, I don't know if I ever committed what today would be considered sexual assault. But what I do know is, it's possible that I committed sexual assault. I do know that Christine Blasey Ford has endured a tremendous amount of pain over the course of her life. And I know that I responded to her allegations with defensiveness, partisanship, and a disregard for the public good, which only exacerbated her pain along with that of my family and that of our country. And for that, I take responsibility, and I apologize. What I also know is I missed an opportunity for leadership. I missed an opportunity to secure my place on the Supreme Court in a way that advanced the cause for women, a cause I support. I missed an opportunity to keep the Supreme Court above partisan politics, which may be an impossible ideal, but one I aspire to. I miss that opportunity. So I'd like to take that opportunity now and say, the way women are treated in this country is changing. And thank God. Historically, women like Christine Blasey Ford and Deborah Ramirez didn't have much recourse in cases of sexual abuse especially when the alleged perpetrator was a man of power. Today, powerful perpetrators are being exposed, tried, and imprisoned. And some men are getting caught in the crossfire of change. 
Some men are getting caught treating women in ways that were once considered normal, which never made them right, but are now socially inappropriate, if not illegal. It may seem unfair to the man being held accountable to standards he didn't grow up with, but as they say, evolution is beautiful, but it's not pretty. So to the men of this country, to the men leading this country, whatever we might think about my confirmation process, there's a bigger process of social progress that I want us to celebrate and support. The ability of women with credible allegations against powerful men to come forward and be heard is something I want us to celebrate and support. The Me Too movement, in conjunction with due process, is something I want us to celebrate and support. Evolution is beautiful, but it's not pretty. Me Too isn't just a reckoning with sexual abuse of power. It's a reckoning with how we deal with sexual abuse of power. For the high-profile men who are credibly accused, it's a reckoning with how we are, or in most cases are not, using our positions of power to take responsibility and leadership. And for the Me Too movement, it's a reckoning with whether you make room for accused men to do that. Now, I didn't write these words. I've never said them, and I don't necessarily agree with all of them. But I agree with enough of them, and am committed enough to taking leadership on the cause for women, that I pledge to give this speech in my own words. Please make enough room for me to do that. Okay, so I, I want to ask, first of all, what do you see as the kind of philosophical or practical goals of a video like this? Are you sort of trying to change hearts and minds? Um, any in particular? Yeah, and I guess I, I will answer that. But first, I just really briefly, I should say I did not come to this idea um, it's not that I discovered deep fakes and I was like, Ooh, what could I do with this tool? I, um, I had been producing reckonings, the show that you um, interviewed me about, about how people change their hearts and minds. And I had uh, been, I had kind of this wish list of guests of people who I'd love to have on the show, like the Pope <laughs> um, to talk <laughs> mm -hmm. about his reckoning with the clergy sex abuse crisis. And um, the Pope never called me weird. Um, surprise, surprise. So I, uh, I decided, what if I wrote his reckoning for him? And I did an audio. I did an. I did it audio first. Mm -hmm. which I just had a. I wrote a script and had a voice actor perform it. And I. Um, and then I heard from people who, knowing that it was completely fake, I heard from survivors of clergy sex abuse who, knowing that it was completely fake, found it really helpful to hear the imaginary pope say the kinds of things that they would love to hear the real pope say. Um, anyway, there's more to the story, but, and then mm -hmm. I discovered the phenomenon of deep fakes and I was like, you could actually do this. You could actually make this, you could make it look like this person is having 
a crisis of conscience. So just for what it's worth, and there's more I can say about the origins, but it did not come from deep fake. So cool. What could I do with that? It really came from, sure. um, yeah, kind of a, a years long exploration of how people change and, and kind of a years long, um, devotion, uh, to let's say making, making more room for people to grow. Yeah. And, and I mean, so, I should add that, on your website, you know, you'll talk about the use of this technology, concerns about the ethics of using this technology. And like you have a whole sort of Q&A thing on there about like, are you concerned <laughs> that somebody will think this is real? What happens, et cetera. Um, and I think you'll, you know, address some of those concerns. Um, so it, it, we don't, yeah, we don't want to give the impression that you're sort of glibly using this technology. I think it's a very interesting project. Um, I come away from it with sort of mixed feelings, but I, I think I want to understand more like the feelings cool. of the individuals who you're talking about. Who do, do you get the sense that it's a kind of catharsis? Do you view these videos as a kind of like you were, you know, you mentioned virtual reality therapy earlier. <laughs> that, do you yeah, see this as a kind the of goal? Okay. That was not the goal. I mean, that was a surprise. Um, but the goals, there were th the, the the project has three goals. Um, so the first one is around the technology itself. So, you know, instead of asking, you know, are deep fakes ethical, which is a yes or no question, which I don't I don't feel like is a particularly helpful question. It's a technological determinist way of asking the question. We might ask mm -hmm. similar same question to truth. Under what circumstances, if any, can deep fakes? be ethical mm -hmm. you know, where do we draw that line and so in um in our discussion i can kind of go into where i ended up drawing the line but but i my the point is i believe it can be drawn i believe it is possible to use deep fake technology in ethical and even benevolent ways and so one intention of the project was just and yeah deep fakes people were terrified of them and understandably at the time when i made the project 96 percent of deep fakes online were used for involuntary pornography. Right. So part of, the, of one intention of the project was just to kind of help define and fulfill and kind of expand what we might call the ethical or the pro-social potential mm -hmm. of deep fake technology. So that's what one is just the technology itself. The, the second one was around, the second intention was around redemption and just the, you know, like we're all kind of used to the deny and deflect playbook <laughs> we've, mm -hmm. we've, we've saw that a lot during the Me Too era and the Trump presidency. And so the, a second intention is just to create an alternative playbook um, that, that could be more powerful, more beautiful, more sexy than the deny and deflect thing, you know, to make critical self-reflection look stunning. And this was part of the intention with Reckonings too, you know, so, so that we are moved to do critical self-reflection so that our public figures are moved to do it so that we make more room for them to do it. And, and especially because we live so much of our lives in, in public, I think we need more room to be wrong and learn and change and redeem ourselves and, 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 and ultimately grow in public. So that was the second intention of the project is kind of just kind of to make a model for that. Mm -hmm. um, and to, I mean, ambitiously, yes, to make more room for ourselves to grow in public. And then the third intention was around truth. Um, and this we've, we've already talked about um, to, you know, I guess, I guess the way to say it within the context of deep reckonings is, um, you know, even if we magically eliminated all deep fakes, we would still be in 
a post-truth crisis. You know, we would still be in a crisis of epistemic proportions Mm -hmm. and a crisis of epistemic proportions, you know, I would say requires nothing short of an epistemic intervention. And so, yes, we need deep fake detectors and watermarks and fact checking and media literacy and all that. And, and per our previous conversation, I think we also need to actually evolve our relationship with truth Mm -hmm. and, um, and maybe just to connect, connect it really closely to deep reckonings. I'll just say one last thing. So the, on this third intention, the way that one of the videos is Alex Jones and Alex Jones is having his deep reckoning, his imaginary reckoning on Joe Rogan's podcast. So it's them talking to each other. He's on the Joe Rogan experience and um, and he's having his reckoning with, with, with Sandy Hook and his spread of, of, of hateful lies. And he, and at the end of his, his reckoning, he says, um, he says to Joe Rogan, he says, so he just kind of has like a moment of clarity. And he says, so what do I do with this video? And Joe Rogan says, what do you mean? And Alex Jones says, well, it's fake, but it's true. And Alex Jones says, well, what if you just pretend this video is real? And Alex Jones says, that's crazy. And Joe Rogan just starts laughing because how ridiculous is it that Alex Jones thinks it's crazy, says it's crazy to pretend that something is fake is true. And then Joe Rogan is like, well, why don't you just come on my show and do the real version? Mm. But, um, but it poses the question, you know, like what if Alex Jones pretending that his deep fake video that his deep reckonings was real is what helped him stop broadcasting lies? Or what if he just wouldn't say whether it was real or not? It's like a placebo effect. Like he won't say, but like, would we be prepared to sacrifice whatever value would come from Alex Jones no longer broadcasting lies just because it involved it in self involved a lie. I don't know. I don't, I don't know the answer to that question. I don't, I don't have the answer to that question, but I'm willing to entertain it and, and just acknowledge that truth exists in tension with, with other values. And so that's, that's the third, that's the third intention of the project is, is to kind of, yeah, probe yeah. our relationship with truth or ch- challenge whether truth is really like the only you know, I guess it, I, it show the tension between truth and other values. I guess I think it might be valuable to distinguish between lies and fiction in the way that you're sort of talking about this here, right? I can see the value of a productive fiction and I can see the value of an ethical lie. Um, but I don't think we should run those concepts together necessarily because it seems like, you know, there are valuable fictions, you know, fictional stories that teach us about ourselves without necessarily being about the actual real world or something like that. But those to me have a very different kind of ethical nature to them than, you know, telling us a, a lie about someone in the real world, but in a way that produces good results or something like that. Does that? Mm-hmm, totally. Yeah. yeah, you're right. There are gradations here. And if I were to make a little matrix of like under what circumstances relate to truth in which way, I would have to differentiate between, sure, fictions and lies. And well, and sure, fi- like I'm operating in the realm of like, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> so before, before I send you off on another tangent in that way, though, I wanted to like unpack a little bit more about that, that Alex Jones stuff, because I, you know, there's a part of me that's really sympathetic to your project where it seems very Afrofuturist in a sense. It's using technology that is traditionally viewed as unethical to do something ethical in theory. It is about, you know, trying to take the the possible and visualize it so that it becomes the actual. I think there's value in those sorts of things. Um, but then, you know, when you're describing the 
video with Jones, Jones and Rogan or the video with Kavanaugh, I end up feeling very like I struggle. I feel very cold. I feel very empty, almost angry, honestly, because I recognize that this is so far from the reality that we live in that I find that sort of upsetting. And I worry about the way that like content like this could, you know, give people the kind of feeling that they need to, you know, um, be okay with something, be okay with Joe Rogan or something like that. Where like, it seems to me that, that Joe Rogan continues to be a substantial source of misinformation and some folks won't even acknowledge that reality. Um, and then in this video, he's being treated as like the voice of reason compared to Alex Jones when both of them are kind of, you know, dangerous conspiracy theorists at this point. Um, so I, I struggle with feeling like this kind of, and it's similar in some ways to the virtual therapy stuff you mentioned earlier, where I think there's a really important ethical debate about whether virtual therapy helps people cope with loss or becomes a kind of um, alternative fiction that they get wrapped up in, but that doesn't actually improve the world or help them necessarily you know, flourish, um, it, it becomes more escapist almost. Yeah. And to be clear, when I talk about virtual reality therapy, I'm not talking about like bringing people back from the dead to help people cope with their loss. I'm talking about virtual reality therapy that like, it's like, mm. it's, if you mm -hmm. lost a limb, it gives you the sense that you have it so I see. you can help regain. Yeah. So I, I so that I want to, sorry. Okay. I was thinking of the, no, there's a version yeah. over in Japan where they, they synthesize totally. your, your yeah, dead that's people. Not what I'm talking yeah. about. And I think that's actually really, I'm concerned about that too. Okay. Uh -huh. I think I think that's more, and that's why I wanted to make really clear that I came to this idea not from oh, deep fakes are this powerful tool. How can I use them? What about this? What about that? Which I, 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 I don't know. I hate to kind of be ranty about it, but I do, I do, I do feel like a lot of the uses of it are kind of coming from that place. Like oh, look, like what you know. Whereas mm -hmm. I was wanting, I was trying to do something that I think is more similar. Let's say. And you might disagree, but that I think is more similar to what Kim Stanley Robinson did with Ministry for the Future. Like roll out the red carpet to a potential future that we can walk towards. Or Right, that's or, the more Afrofuturist so, um, part that I'm sympathetic well, let to. Me, uh, yeah. yeah, let me just fit. Um, or um, I'm forgetting the name of the, I can't, I'm forgetting the name of the woman who did the vagina monologues. But she, um, Eve, Eve, uh, I can't remember her last name. She's brilliant. Not I should Eve know Ensler, her name. Is it or something? Yes, Eve Ensler. Exactly. Thank you. Although she she now goes by yeah. V, I uh -huh. think. Anyway, she wrote so she wrote a book called The Apology, which is the apology her father never gave her for sexually abusing her as a child. Mm-hmm. And in the book, she, yeah, does she describe and, and I know explicitly I'm operating in grace. Sorry, what? And in the book, does she explicitly describe him sexually abusing her as a child? I yes. So and she and she okay, wait. Can I just yeah? Go can ahead. I just finish. Yeah, what of I'm course. Saying? Yeah. So I I understand that I'm operating in gray space, and she might have more of a claim to doing this because it's her actual experience. Whereas I don't know Kavanaugh, I don't know Alex Jones, I don't know Mark Zuckerberg, you know. But I think it's all. I think I'm I'm operating in. I, I think I'm, I know I'm operating in relatively gray space. And what I would say is I'm kind of the, you know, I guess I'm just the ultimate pragmatist, at least right now, in the sense that 
I don't, I'm not so concerned about creating false empathy or, you know, it's like, so let's say we watch the Kavanaugh video and then we feel better about him. And then because we feel better about him, we're more able to engage with people who support him. And then we're more able to come to some kind of consent, like agreement or something. Somehow we actually move forward on abortion in a way that I don't know, like for me, it's like, I don't have such a problem with creating false empathy if it ends up moving us in a, you know, in, in a, and how would we know? And in retrospect and what, but like, that's kind of the pragmatic orientation. It's like, I, it's like, I only care about a problem in so far as like, it's actually a problem relative to the actual goal that I'm trying to accomplish. Right. I, I guess, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to suss out where it feels to me like there's a disconnect between sort of what you're trying to accomplish and what can be sort of accomplished with the project as designed in this kind kind of way. So, you know, I don't expect you to have a fully realized mechanism, but I do think there is a reasonable question to be asked about what what is the mechanism that gets someone from watching this video to a positive outcome separate from the slight feeling, you know, better, you know, that, you know, like that, that I might get from watching a really happy moment in a television show or something like that. Um, yeah, I don't know. And that's where this, it's like, I didn't obviously I didn't do user testing where I did like watch a video versus read a script versus have me perform the script, you know, and it could mm -hmm. be that me performing the script is actually, you know, hearing someone, you know, it, it, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't have, I mean, in that sense, this is still very much an experiment, but yeah, I, I also wanted to ask about the yeah. e, the connection to V because the reason I asked about, yeah. I haven't, I haven't read the, the particular, uh, the apology, but one of the challenges that I had with the Kavanaugh video was that it felt to me that, and you talked about this some, I think, in one of your other uh, interviews that, you know, because you're working with live ammo in the sense of like real people who exist in the world who will not be saying the things that you are saying and who might sue you if you say the wrong things in their voice, right? There's a no. It's under the it's 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 satire. It's commentary. I mean, it's not satire, but it's it's categorized still as satire or commentary, which is protected. So if you if you did a deep fake where you specifically had Brett Kavanaugh say, "I recognize that I sexually assaulted Blasey Ford," and I want to apologize for that. You don't think that they would sue you? I don't. I, I think we're kind of in the wild west right now. Yeah, I would. I would be I, fairly I confident know, that they would least... sue you on that one. I think, like, because 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 then it would, would be really easy for someone to take liable. it. That, but that that's yeah. not. There is a distinction between satire commentary and then like libel and slander. Right. Right. So and the question I that I was trying to get to did not say that. Right. The question I was I trying would, to get to here was I, though is yeah. that you can't put those words in Kavanaugh's mouth. So it seems to me that you're you're left having to have him say, you know, some what I would feel are somewhat platitudinous claims about how women used to be treated versus how they're currently treated. And at the same time, sort of not giving a clear view of how he views his own personal behavior, which it seems like is, is important well, there. And so, I, I, you know, like I wonder if other people come away feeling cold because they don't feel like they can hear the actual catharsis that they need to hear of the person at least being credibly, you know, like this, the statement at least being made, uh, whether or not. I you think know, we yeah. got into this last time because yeah. you have something you want to hear Kavanaugh say. 
That's not what I'm creating. I'm not creating. You're, you're selling. You're, Aaron you're presenting these as, a, as apologies, though, right? Like these are meant to be say, apologies. No, right? I'm, I'm, I'm trying to find something else. I'm trying to find what is the thing he could say. And I, I don't have proof for this. This is what we got into last time. But what is? Yeah, the I, I think it's valuable still to get into it this time as well. Ideological right? diversity of people mm -hmm. could like unify around, and that might not be the thing that would be moving or resonant with you. Why you have why aim for the largest thing? Because like let me let me understand though. Yeah. Like if you aim for the largest thing, the most people could accept, you end up with something. It seems like that's going to be so anodyne as to have. I no disagree much, with you. No? I think the project is integration. I think the project is synthesis. Right? It's not thesis. It's not antithesis. It's synthesis. So that's what I'm aiming for. Two water down is uninteresting to anyone. So synthesis is something like uh -huh. synthesis is something like I'll quote him. It's something like evolution is beautiful, but it's not pretty. That's synthesis. It's saying, guess what? Evolution is beautiful. We are evolving the way we treat women in this country. And thank God. And it sucks. It's not pretty. Some men are getting thrown under the bus. It's not fair. Some men are being right. scapegoated. Yeah. That to me is synthesis. Oh, no. So that comes off to me as not synthesis. That comes off to me as, um, you know, the kind of thing that like people want to say when they want to make men feel better about the fact that they are uncomfortable about social change. And I understand the desire to make men feel more comfortable about social change. But, you know, if the point... But you of, said you wrote a script. Yeah, yeah. Let's hear your script. Because, Aaron, sure. I, I just have to say, now you're go you've gone from critiquing the project and the technology and the goals are designed to critiquing the writing. And the writing... It might not appeal to you. I, I mean, I think these That's are all like, parts of the project. Yeah. I, I, my goal here is not to critique the writing. My goal here is that I think there's a concern. And I, I will, I'll, I'll, I'll bridge this into my own example here because I do think a large part of the concern for me is the use of a specific individual. So I wrote one. I wrote one that um, is not from the voice of a specific individual, but instead from a community. I tried to make it kind of maximally fair. I do want to say at the outset, I did my very best on this. I also struggle with feeling like this is still putting words in the mouth of people who are people I disagree with and who probably don't want me putting words in their mouth. Um, but since you recommended doing it in the spirit of that, I wanted to, you know, provide one and, and, and get your feedback at least and see if I had at least met the, the goal as, as you understood it. Yeah. I mean, I guess I just want to say, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, again, kind of for the record or for what it's worth, I think there's so many things to critique about this project. A million. Okay. And yeah, and I um and I think it's I still find it a very challenging and worthy exercise both to write the script and then just to behold. Okay. Well then I'll I'll read this out um, let me know what you think. Okay. Sound good? All right, so and 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 not a, and you don't have to agree with that, and other people don't have to agree with it either. Sure, that's that's a, always goes as unsaid on the show. I feel like, um, but always good to say it out loud. Um, okay, I'm here to apologize on behalf of the heterodox, so the IDW, the sense makers, the anti woke. I know many will consider it presumptuous to speak for a group of individuals whose shared feature may be a resistance to being lumped into a group, but I believe it's become necessary. While I too have resisted these labels, preferring to see myself as post-tribal, it has become impossible to ignore the insular community that has ironically formed around the concept of heterodoxy. 
given the endless stream of heterodox media featuring the same handful of thinkers discussing the same handful of culture war topics before retiring to the same performative steak dinners, it's time to recognize that the heterodox tribe has formed and behaves much like any other community. Our road was paved with the best intentions. Like many around us, we recognized the mainstream media was flawed, and like many around us, we sought to create an alternative epistemic ecosystem made resilient by free speech and robust discourse, a plan B, if you will. Yet, in pursuing that noble goal, we somehow lost our way. By trying to balance between seeking truth and shunning error, we leaned too far into seeking truth and became incapable of shunning error. A hesitancy to silence heterodox views has created a culture of civility porn, where the only acceptable responses are some form of yes and. Earnest attempts to say no but are treated as hubristic and censorious. For many, that meant saying yes and to woke moral, anti-woke moral panics about CRT and queer theory. Yes and to Hungarian dictators and polite Holocaust deniers. Yes, and to ivermectin over vaccines. For the sake of not snuffing out a single rose, we let a million death caps bloom. Rather than seeking out honest critics to engage with, we took to labeling our opponents as bad faith, low decouplers, capable only of ad hominems and guilt by association. Even when it became undeniable that they were right, when we were forced to distance ourselves from the most overtly toxic and conspiratorial among us, we didn't acknowledge that others had seen the red flags much sooner, nor did we address the blind spots that slowed down our own recognition of the problem, opting instead to excise a few bad apples and continue along. For that, we apologize. We continue to believe that the world needs heterodoxy and that our movement has done substantial good alongside contributing to moral panics. We've brought substantial attention to woke excesses and given people tools for resisting petty social justice tyrants. We've created a counterweight to the chilling effect of social justice in academia, ensuring that administrators will think twice before bowing to the woke mob. Now, in the spirit of Aristotle's golden mean, we must re renew our efforts to find balance. We must acknowledge that white Christian nationalism remains the most threatening orthodoxy to stand against liberal democracies. We must distinguish between legitimate gripes with anti-racism and the dangerous mainstreaming of great replacement conspiracism. We must remember that one of the greatest gifts of secular reasoning was the ability to say that claim seems objectively false, and if you're going to use it as a justification for abusing children or murdering your neighbors, we're going to stop you because you're wrong. We've gotten very good at telling the orthodox they're wrong. It's time to turn that ability back on ourselves. Scene. <laughs> how do you think? So, how do you think heterodox thinkers would respond? I, I want to know how you think. Actually, uh, I'm very curious. I mean, my I, to me, it sounds. I, I I mean, I think it's less sure. I mean, what I think is, it it sounds like you spent like most of the time just kind of like apologizing on their behalf from things for things that you think that they should apologize for, take responsibility for, and then spent a little bit of time on like, like the good things that they've done. But um, what I learned from Reckonings, the podcast, is when people have 
a reckoning or some kind of crisis of conscience, they really learn something and they really come to some wisdom. And so in writing the scripts for deep reckonings, yeah, part of it is what is this person responsible for? What do they have to take responsibility for? Part of it is what do I think happened? Like, and you, you, you kind of explain that with like, they were reacting to the media and things that, you know, it's like they were reacting to something real that was concerning, but part of it, and I think the most important part of it is what insight did they come to? What wisdom did they come to from going through this, going through this evolution in their consciousness? It's like they saw a problem, they tried to solve the problem, and then they had this like awakening to the fact that the way that they were solving the problem was almost like exacerbating or creating a new problem. Like that would that would that would um, create some kind of yeah insight. Uh, sorry, I, I, are you saying you feel like that didn't come through in this one? To, what is it? What is it? What's the insight? The return to recognizing that it's okay to say that people are wrong, including people within your own heterodox community. I mean, yeah. I Do you think that they don't... I, I, I feel like I hear that coming from the so-called heterodox space already. But sure, but maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's... Um, yeah, I don't know. Again, like, yeah, a return. So, um, yeah, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm trying to understand because, you know, I personally, like I said, I think these activities are fundamentally going to end up being cringe because you're either going to water them down so much that there's nothing there or they're going to be substantive enough that the person's going to disagree with them and i feel like you know so you you know you said for example you felt like i spent too much time on what they did wrong and not enough on what they did right i felt like i spent substantial time no i time. actually think that i, I you thought there was a good balance what no 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 i'm just saying i wouldn't use like what i did wrong and what i did right i see it, or that's just not the frame yeah but i mean didn't you in your videos talk about you know alex jones did something wrong when he you know or, or... I, I i gave you the formula it's what i have to take responsibility for what what happened like why i did it to begin with what prompted that and then what did i learn but um but either way i mean i think the true te- if 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 you're you know, you can have your opinion of like, mine is too watered down. And my, my opinion of yours is like, I don't think it would really resonate with the people that you're targeting because it's too much that already gets their defenses up. But the true test is like, all right, who's the audience we're actually going after? And the test is the audience. Do you feel like the ones that you you made about like Alex? I've gotten all kinds of responses about deep reckonings. Have you gotten any Um, from the individuals who you wrote them about though? No, no, no. I never got so, so you would. I mean, so I guess I, what, I guess what I'm saying is, but that's right. not who they're for. Well, well hold on though. Like, for. wait a minute. I'm confused because you were just like, if the audience is the heterodox, you're not going to get through to them. So my question would then be, how do we know that your videos are getting through to Brett Kavanaugh or Alex Jones or Donald we, Trump? We or, don't. All right. we know, the only proxy I have is people who support them. I see. So you've heard from people who support those individuals and what did they say about the videos? I mean, I got everything. The videos got everything. It got, this person doesn't deserve to have his apology written for him. This person has nothing to apologize for. Thank you for making more room in my heart. I never thought about it this way. I got everything. I see. 
And and all related to that, I know we're running a little short on time. I noticed when I was checking back that you had taken down the Trump video, um, and maybe it can help me understand a little bit more, sort of delineating um, what you think works and what doesn't in this space. Like why why did y'all decide not to uh, leave up the Trump video? Yeah, the Trump video I took down because it didn't fulfill the spirit of the project. It didn't fulfill the goal of the project. It, I hadn't, I wasn't yet able to come to some kind of like, I was able to have Trump take responsibility. I was able to have Trump kind of explain what happened, like the, you know, how he was raised by his father and he always wanted to win and it didn't matter what, you know, he wants to win so bad. He doesn't, you know, he'd rather, He'd re- if he can't win, he'd rather destroy the game. It's like came from where he was. Re- but I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't able to find some kind of wisdom or insight or revelation for him. And, uh, and so I took it down because it ended up just feeling like things we've already said, critiques are already out there. It's like just the fact that it's in a deep fake video doesn't, you know, that's not enough. It's just because it's like technologically in a different form. But yeah, I wasn't able to find any revelation for him at least not yet mm-hmm. i understand are you planning on doing any more uh videos are they any more in production or <laughs> i mean i i i would love to i i the the i mean the way that i would love to do it and now you're gonna know i'm crazy the way that i would love to do it is to is to make them and then you send it to the person and then you say you do the real thing or we release the fake one. <laughs> if you want to do the real thing, I'll help you do the real thing. Listen to the entire Reckonings catalog. I will help you tell your story. And if you feel like you're not ready for it, well, then deep fake it till we make it, mm. which you, I know you probably think is insane. But then again, it's like the pragmatist. It's like, where am I coming from? What am I trying to do here? You know, if I'm trying to make more room in our culture for growth mm-hmm. and redemption, and yeah, I'd actually rather do the real version if that's an option. If you're going to use them as a kind of like. It's like a compassionate blackmail. I don't think I, I don't, I mean, I don't know if I, I don't know. But yeah, I wonder, I wonder if my, you'd have to sharpen them a little bit in terms of like, they'd have to be more critical to like put the screws. Or, to I mean, but that's a good, that it's a really good test. Cause if it's going to be something that I send to the person that inspires them to want to do this, it has to be really good. Yeah, and I guess I wonder, do you end up having to, like, placate their egos too much to get a real earnest response out of them? It seems, yeah, it's an interesting, maybe, it's an interesting maybe piece the, of art. Maybe the invitation is softer than the real version because you placated their egos so much that they were willing to take a deep look in the mirror and say something, you that, know. That would be pretty impressive. That I would certainly harder. <laughs> yeah, I'll let you know if I ever succeed. Um, who would you, uh, who do you, who would you... Kavanaugh, Zuckerberg, Jones, or someone else. To get them to actually apologize? <laughs> yeah, who would be the person who I think is, I know who I think is absolutely the most likely to do it. Oh, the most likely? Um, I mean, I guess the most likely would be Zuckerberg because it's never going to oh, happen from no, Alex Jones. No way. And- 
No, 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 not Zuckerberg Jones. No, you're Alex you're wrong. Alex Jones has tried to do it. He tried to do no, it. No, that's on that's Joe absolutely Rogan. false. Alex Jones is zero no, no, percent he, remorseful. I think, I think Mark Zuckerberg. Well, this is our opinions. No, this Mark is not opinion. Is this is this is convinced. absolutely court fact at this point. Um, I, you know, this, this is something that I want to push back pretty strongly on because I actually am not a not not comfortable with the like humanizing of Alex Jones. I think it's bad luck for him that he's Alex Jones, but I want to make one hundred percent clear i do not believe that alex jones that that i believe that his apology was entirely tactical and bullshit and he pivoted away from it as soon as it was clear that it would not save his ass so alex jones has zero remorse i don't disagree with that oh it seemed like you were you were were disagreeing and saying that alex jones actually has remorse yeah i think he's suffering the most I, I'm sure I he's, he's suffering, but that's not the same Zuckerberg. as remorse. I think he's suffering because he's no, no. I, what a, I asked was damaged person. Most likely, I didn't say who has the most remorse. I said who would be the most likely to do it. Oh, I think I think do it. you could say Jones would be the most likely to lie to you if that's what you're looking for. Maybe. I think he would be squirrely, but I think he's <laughs> he's the closest. I think Zuckerberg is very convinced that he's like he's got it all right and the world is wrong and he's just plowing ahead have you and, have you listened to much about mm-hmm. alex jones like not have you listened to knowledge I fight at all for example all of them a lot in order to write their scripts i listened to all of them a lot for hours yes have you listened have to you like listened to knowledge alex jones fight? a lot i mean yeah like i'm i'm i'm, I'm sorry this is not an offensive question most people who talk about alex have jones you listened to alex yes jones a lot, yeah Aaron? i'm saying i have and what i'm saying is most what I, my experience is 99% of people who talk about Alex Jones have not spent much time with his content or with the people who criticize his content like Knowledge Fight, who highlight how he continues to lie about these parents, even though he's claiming that he's remorseful, et cetera, et cetera. Like, I, I think there, I, I think there's good reason, good evidence not to trust someone like Alex Jones. And this sort of comes back to maybe the apology that I laid out a little bit where I worry that your approach might make it so that we can't say, you know, that Alex Jones is like doing bad things and is a bad person in this way and deserve, you know, like, and should be prevented from doing those things, even if it's just pure moral luck that makes him this bad person. Um, You know, it's, it's a, it's a question. I'm asking the question. Would, which question would we be prepared? The question it's the, would we be prepared to suck? Like is, it's fault is false empathy a problem if it if it moves us in a direction that we really want to go it's a question it's a it's a it's like a philosophical quandary you might have your answer and your answer is no false empathy under any circumstances for alex jones i don't i don't agree with that i don't know i don't i guess i would just have to i'd have to better understand what the end is you actually think is being achieved by having false empathy for alex jones it's not clear to me what the it end. is, and if it's just I mean, if it's just an end. open question, then I would say prima facie no, this is a bad idea. Is, the end is, and you're you're you are, you you are gonna think I'm nuts, but this is this is this the end for me is what if Alex Jones had a crisis of conscience in public and brought his audience along with him. Yeah, and I'm saying I think it's reasonable at some point to infer that he's never, literally, never going to do that, you, and holding out hope your, for that is that is you're harmful. To that. Okay, I mean, you're, I, yeah, I, I like obviously seen, we just disagree say, here. That's okay. Uh, yeah, we do, and I will say I have not seen an influencer have like a dramatic crisis of conscience 
and bring their audience with them in like a totally new direction. I haven't seen that, but that doesn't mean it's not possible. Sure, it is technically possible. I think in Jones's case, it is not possible for all of the evidence that has been presented at trial. But anyway, we don't need to we don't need to beat this dead horse um, any further because I realize we're also getting uh, short on time, and I want I got to get to the torture and the bonus content. Um, so let me I ask. Think we you, did the torture. Let's go to the bonus. No, there's still there's still got to be torture. But first, uh, you asked me yes or no questions, and my answer is always both. But sure, we can try it. Well, you got to suffer like everybody else. That's part of the show. Um, let me ask you first, though. You know, are there additional resources that you would point folks towards related to your understandings about truth and um, uh, productive fictions and things like that for folks who wanted to understand more where you're coming from on this? Sure. There's a VPRO documentary called Seeing is Believing. Mm-hmm. Okay. That, yeah, that explores these alternative uses of deep fakes. Cool. That is well done. But honestly, um, on truth, I looked around in pragmatic philosophy and I couldn't really find, I found, I found a, a, like a literally two articles that kind of pointed in this direction, but this is a question I would ask you actually. Oh, I'm not an epistemologist. Who is talking so about like, truth in this way? Yeah. What? I mean, I, I would, I would say, you know, maybe, I would, I would probably embarrass myself in front of my epistemologist friends trying to list you the things that you should actually be reading in the present. Um, oh, you know, well, the, my most recent thing would be things like William James and things. But yeah. Um, yeah, they're pragmatic philosophers. Yeah, well, then maybe you're... Dewey. Epistemolo- epistemology. Great. Dewey, Pierce. Yeah, I don't know. Your epistemology friends would be better resources for that. Yeah, and we've done... We did a whole episode on Rorty. So if folks want to go back and have a listen, that's another one who I think you know, has valuable sort of mixed positions on these kinds of issues. Um, Okay, but that unfortunately means now I get to torture you. This is uh, new from the last time that you were here. Uh, We did Real or Not Real last time, but now we're on to the enlightening round two trolley boogaloo. Why don't you just tell me the right answer? Well, that's what's so great about the trolley problem is that there is no right answer. So I'm going to give you a series of trolley problems. Are you familiar with the trolley problem? Okay. Yeah, it's funny. I was about to bring that up with the false empathy. It's kind of like a trolley problem. It's like, yeah, anyway, go on. Perfect. Well, here we are in the trolley problem. I'm going to give you a series of things and you're going to tell me what you should do in that situation. Okay, so that's the bar we are setting here what you should or should not well, do okay. everybody or just what i would do what you not what you would do what you should do well, I should, okay 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 so moral philosophy okay. question all right first up standard issue trolley problem should you save five by killing one yes okay should you save five by causing a machine to shove someone onto the tracks, killing that one person? Isn't that kind of the same? Not for some people. Oh, okay. I'm a crude, pragmatic person, and I would say yes again. Okay. What about should you save yourself by killing one person? Oh, God. 
I don't know. I don't know. Who's the person who's already going to die? Who's it's a random on the innocent tracks? individual with no discernment features. They're already features. on the tracks. I'm the one who's not on the tracks. Uh, you are the one. Who, yes, correct. You pull the lever. Well, no, you're on the. You're the one who's on the tracks. You pull the lever and they get killed. Switches tracks, kills them. Oh, because the train is heading to me. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is horrible. <laughs> who has kids? Do I? Who has kids? No. There's, there's no kids. additional no additional information. With fewer kids. No. Okay, Come on. Well, I know I have kids, so Come on. I'll save myself. Okay, you save yourself. All right. Um that brings up the follow-up question, which is would you save yourself by killing a five year old? Um no. Okay. Uh next, would you or should you, excuse me, should you Save your favorite artist's body of work by killing the artist. No. Okay. What if the artist was there begging you to kill them instead of the artwork? Then I would kill them. Okay. Um, What about save the only existing sentient artificial intelligence by killing one human? The only sentient for now until we build the next one so yeah i would kill the ai you'd kill the ai okay um what if it turned out that you were actually the sentient ai would you kill the human to save yourself well i mean i'd ask the human your it's your decision it's gonna say save me yeah um yeah, I would kill myself as the sentient AI. Okay. I guess. Okay. What about saving a random non-human animal by killing one human? A random non-human animal, like a gopher. Yeah. No, I would kill the animal. Okay. What about your favorite non-human animal? Saving them by killing one human. I would kill the animal. Okay. What about saving an entire ecosystem by killing one human? Do you mean in one place or like all forests everywhere in the world? Let's go with all forests everywhere in the world. No one's asked that clarifier before. Save the ecosystem. Okay. All right. Great. You survived. How do you feel? (laughs) I'm confused. (laughs) Fair. Standard. I'm guilty for killing. Uh, who did I kill? I killed a lot of people. You became an eco terrorist. So congratulations. The artist who asked to kill them asked me to kill them. Yeah, you feel bad about that. I mean, I do. I kind of do, but that's the one I feel least guilty about. That's all right. All right, we can talk about these a little bit more in the VIP section. But do you want to let folks in the main show one more time? Let them know where they can find you, Twitter, uh, etc. <laughs> I don't know if anyone wants to find me anywhere, but if you do, I'm at Steph Lep on twitter okay thank you very much and folks if you want to hear a little bit more stick around for the vips as a human i was ill-equipped to thank you but as myself you have my everlasting gratitude thanks again to our listeners and patrons who make the show possible thanks to our newest voidling rubik's tesseract who i definitely got to meet at qed and who's looking for a skeptical community in madison right now to cope with the endless republican supermajority As always, I'd like to thank our 
top tier patrons, our Archon level patrons, Jay Aldenwalt, Serious Inquiries Only, Lauren Shielding, Dude, Fix the Vote, That Bastard Neil Polzin, and Jesse Rabinowitz and Brenda Goodman, and all the thanks to our Archduke level patrons, Big Easy Blasphemy, Creepy Creepy Little Void Eyes, and Dave Maslich. Thank you all so much. If you'd like to support the show, please check out my other show, Philosophers in Space. And while you're at it, check out our wonderful editor, Louisa Lyons's Filmed Live Musicals podcast. Leave them all a five-star rating and a review on your podcast app. You can also follow me on Twitter at ETVpod or email me at voidpod at gmail.com. And if you notice a small void growing within you, consider supporting us financially at patreon.com slash embrace the void. Just $4 a month gets you early access to episodes and bonus VIP content. Most of all, no matter how things work out, you are the void and the void is you.